Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having uh, Mr. Mark Kenny uh, with us today. Mark Kenny uh, leads uh, his company, Multifamily. And they are they have a little over four thousand units and asset value touching three hundred million. Uh, with that, uh, welcome, uh, Mark. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on today. Awesome. Uh, I guess please give us a background. I guess uh, pretty much that's where we get started. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started, your first deal, that kind of thing. Sure. So I grew up in Michigan, one of seven kiddos of identical twin brother, and uh, pretty much grew up. Not having a bond, you know, not a lot of stuff. We had food and plus and stuff to live, but anything extra we had to pay for ourselves, like bikes and, and clothes. Yeah. So I, uh, I knew I wanted to do something different than just corporate world. At least I thought I did. I uh, went to Michigan State University for accounting. And then when, when I was a senior in college, I started looking at real estate and made offers on properties when I was still in, in school. I uh, got an offer accepted and First one didn't work out because my dad talked me out of it, unfortunately. Um, but then after that, I got another deal quickly after that. So I started out doing kind of small, two to you know four unit properties for the most part. Mm -hmm. I did I was CPA for a while and then started doing IT consulting for quite a while, and uh, started my own IT company in 2008, and really got to a point where I had a lot of big customers like Marathon Oil and T-Mobile, things like that. But I, mm -hmm. I was working, you know, 80 plus hours a week, every week. I'd sleep right. about three hours a night and uh, really caused a lot of issues um, uh, family-wise, frankly. So mm -hmm. my wife encouraged me or told me <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> you got the marching orders. <laughs> that I need to do something differently. And I, I could have chose not to listen, but I decided to listen. And we started looking at doing syndication and 2013 mm -hmm. took us almost a year to find our first deal. I really was extremely busy at the time, and um, we started syndicating then. And like you mentioned, we we have about four thousand, lower four thousand right now. We sold almost a thousand units last year. Wow! And uh, first unit was first deal we got was 64 units in uh, Dallas area. That was the first deal we actually syndicated. I see. And before you got uh, into syndications and like a bigger multifamily units and stuff uh, there, Mark, uh, how many sort of uh, units you had before you thought that, hey, you have to kind of scale bigger and go the syndication route into multifamily? Could you maybe share something around that? Yeah, it's between 14 and 17. I'd say that because my wife and I can never remember. We think we're missing one. It's 26 years later now. Um, but yeah, you know, not, not a lot. Right, right. I, I, I know the feeling that you kind of <laughs> lose count and, you know, it just uh, things get blur after that. 
<laughs> good so about syndications um there mark like could you maybe share like how is sort of your deal structure that you do um uh, you know any preferred returns or anything like that absolutely that so the way I, we have a, a coaching group but we let people structure however they want the way i typically structure deals will be an eight percent preferred return Mm -hmm. uh, 70 30 split um, we've done 75 25 in some cases but generally speaking 70 30 split mm -hmm. 70 to the investor 30 to the managers you take one and a half percent asset manager fee generally speaking and depending on the deal size you know um, one to two percent acquisition fee based sure. on the purchase price mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, no waterfalls at least right now it's pretty much simple 70 30 with the eight percent preferred and nothing kind of above that I see. I see. So mostly, you know, middle of the road, straightforward, uh, you know, clean, clear, uh, concise. Yeah, I've seen some structures and I understand them all. I mean, we work with a lot of the, talk a lot of the large equity guys too. Sure. But for the average investor, if, if the, if it's so confusing when they're trying to read through it, trying to figure out what your structure is, it's not beneficial in my mind because they'll look at it and get confused and, and maybe take no action because they don't understand they have to reread a paragraph five times to understand it. There's, there's an issue there, you know? Right, right, right. And I guess the more and more waterfalls and things like that come in, I think trying to document that correctly and explain it, as you said, rightfully, you know, it does get a bit complicated for sure. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing it. We may right. do some in the future, but right now it's pretty simple. Right, right. Um, so what is your investment strategy? Is it like deep value add or is it something that uh, you look for anything um, uh, like upside and things like that? How do you go about that? It's changed over time in my mind. Before we look at any deal, no matter what, the size or condition, and we bought some uh, number of rough, rough properties. And uh, now I'm more apt to look at properties that are Maybe that, you know, four to $6,000 type, you know, rehab, mm -hmm. uh, mid 80s construction for the most part, a um, little more stabilized. It can be 80% occupancy, but get much lower than that. Unless there's a, a story why, then we don't look at it as much. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we look for, look for probably 200 plus units for the most part. Sure. Uh, we'll buy, we'll buy smaller if the deal makes sense. Right, right. And I have, uh, I mean, by interviewing other guests, I have, uh, you know, learned over time now that I think as you grow bigger, I think the scale that you want to be in that 200, 300 bigger is better. W would you agree? Yeah, it takes just as much time to sign a document for a couple extra zeros on there, you know. Right. Um, the only difference really being, and it's a big difference, is the amount of capital you might have to bring if you're trying to syndicate and raise money for other people is more. But transaction-wise, I would say a bigger deal is actually easier because of a third-party management company. You get more times of scale. Uh, so I prefer bigger. The largest we've done is 454 units so far. Um, and it wasn't any harder than doing our 64-unit deal we did. <laughs> sure. And uh, speaking of capital raising, uh, you know, Mark, uh, could you maybe tell us, like, what are the sort of the best ways to go about or what things uh, other capital raisers should keep in mind uh, uh, like over the years, I'm sure you learned so much. For sure. First, I would say, make sure you understand from a legal standpoint, what you can and can't do, you know, raising capital and understand, you know, the difference to between 506B and 506C for Reg D, you can look that up. Um, that's important. Other than that, then it comes down to, you need to be out there 
And I know it's an inconvenience sometimes going to events for a weekend or meetups on a night during the week and things like that. But you, those are things you're going to have to do. It's just reality. You have to be out there meeting people face to face. Yes, you can meet people online and that's beneficial. Sure. But the face to face, there's no substitute for that. Absolutely. Hmm. And I would say being online, being on social media, even if you don't like social media, there's, there are a lot of advantages to it. I think it can be silly sometimes, but you can use it um, as a tool. You know, the issue you run into on social media is that you don't own any email addresses when they're social media. So you need to have a goal of getting those people into some sort of email list of yours, some sort of funnel. And in order to do that, you're probably going to have to provide something of value. So right. Right. Even if you're new and don't know that much, or you think you don't know that much, you probably know more than the average person. So you sure. can put together a list of, you know, 10 things I've learned in real estate or five mistakes I've made or whatever it might be. And the idea is to be able to push that out to people and you want them to be able to give you an email address at some point in time, but you need to, you need to also be giving that value back to them before someone's going to give you an email address. They're not going to just give you their email address. Right, right. It, it's, a, it's a funnel and it's an exchange for sure that you right. want to provide some value. And, uh, you know, you, you're absolutely right about that, that with social media, you know, you've got to be careful what you say, what you do. And of course, I think providing value is ultimately, you know, what it comes down to. And as you rightfully said about networking aspects of it, you know, the more people you meet, it's it's a whole lot better. And, you know, it's a lot about who you know. And sometimes, you know, the doors that open up, they are absolutely valuable. I think we've all been there for sure. <laughs> right, right, right. You're being active and taking action keys. Right, right. And how, how are the different ways uh, you go about raising capital for your uh, sort of deals uh, there, Mark? Um, well, we've done both 506B, 506C. 506C is going to be much different because it allows us to generally advertise. Right. Um, contrary to people think, I can put a billboard down the highway if I want to, raising money. <laughs> now, it's for accredited only. Sure. And it has to be third-party verified, mm-hmm. but I can do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, similar, the same way for me is being out there active, going to events. You have to be careful on the events because you can waste a lot of time. In some cases, sure. it's going to take you time to figure out which events are a waste of time, which ones are good. It's just part sure. of the game. True. But ask around, right? right. And right. Absolutely. We're all, yeah, we're always at events. We sponsor a lot of events. Um, we provide, you know, our own educational events. We have meetups and, and things like that. So for me, it's not any different than anyone else. It's being active, being seen. Most of the time, you have to be seen more than once. Sure. We started going to Denver about a year or so ago. And uh, we've been there four times in basically a year. And we've been able to get a lot of traction in Denver because people have seen us more than once and build those relationships. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, uh, speaking of markets, uh, Mark, I know you have your portfolio spread across in a few states. Uh, Could you maybe uh, give our listeners uh, insight into how you go about analyzing uh, sort of, you know, which markets to invest and how you uh, sort of drill down into some sub markets and go after, uh, could you maybe uh, share some insights into that? Sure. So for us, we're going to look at, you know, things like population growth, job growth, um, Mm -hmm. landlord friendly, meaning you can evict easier than other places. No rent control. I don't like rent control. Sure. Uh, weather, weather can be an impact, um, mm-hmm. supply, lack of supply, mm-hmm. uh, of new supply coming online is always good mm-hmm. if you own property there. 
those type of things. But end of the day, nothing's going to substitute that local expertise. Sure. So you can look at reports all day long, but it's hard to tell what's happened since, you know, if someone's lived in an area for 20 years, for example, right. I have a partner in Atlanta. He lived there 26 years. He's actually a Marcus Milchat broker. He understands the market, what's happening, and he can be on the cusp of, of something changing in the market that's really hard to tell just by data. Sometimes right. you have to have right. that local expertise. So that's key. And other things we'll look at, are there some sort of incentives to be in a market? So Memphis has done really, really well for us. We own a lot of doors there mm -hmm. and they have what's called a pilot program, which will allow you to you basically put money back into the property. It's pretty significant, mm -hmm. but your property taxes are cut in half. Wow. And then yeah, they're frozen for 10 years and that might be going up for 25 years. Mm -hmm. So at a minimum 10 years and potentially 25 years, your property taxes will be frozen. Is that like a, a tax credit that's uh, usually available in various states? It, well, um, I haven't seen too many other states or cities that have this, frankly, not to this level. Mm -hmm. um, they have some where you improve the property. When I grew up, you improve it and then you have to keep it for a number of years. Right. But um, as far as property tax, I haven't seen that much. And it does probably exist in other areas, but I haven't run across it much. Right, right. I, I know we in Maryland, we have, and I have seen projects being executed. That's what I was asking. And speaking of those uh, markets, uh, their mark, um, I know a lot of times you have all these different markets where the job growth is there, strong population growth is there, right? But then there are other pockets, uh, you know, Midwest or some or some other states wherein, uh, you know, the job growth is not that significant, but cash flow wise, those markets still work, right? So, and I know syndications and deals are continuously happening in such markets too. So what is your take on sort of a cash flowing market versus, uh, you know, cash flowing plus potential appreciation markets? Could you maybe share some insights as to, uh, you know, how, how does that uh, kind of come into picture about uh, various state of the market? Yeah, without a doubt. I grew up in the Midwest, mm -hmm. but um, appreciation is the one thing you can't control from a market appreciation. You have no control over it. Right. Uh, forced appreciation you can potentially do by putting money into it. I prefer markets that have cash flow. I would take a cash flow market over a, a so-called potential appreciation market because the cash flow is something I can actually have accessible. A lot of investors want that cash to be able to do things with it. Mm -hmm. And if you wait and wait for appreciation, it's great if it happens, but it might not happen. Right. Um, so there's no doubt those markets like in the Midwest and things like that. Uh, Memphis is another one, this cash flow, but not the appreciation, although it has right. impressed a fair bit cap rate there right. over the last 18 months. Right. Uh, I really do like the cash flow and I focus wise, I think cash flow is a good, good way to go, frankly. Right. And, uh, and the reason I'm uh, maybe asking that question, Mark, I should characterize it is that, for example, uh, you know, as we all know, with, uh, with the value add and the NOI growth that we have in our multifamily deals, right, your valuation, obviously, of your asset goes up that's that's fine and dandy that's all great but places like let's say miami orlando dallas austin i mean we all know those are like as we are recording this podcast in early 
right? We all know those are markets that are almost exploding, right? So uh, in terms yeah. of like you get value add, but on top of that, you get that sort of rear wind that market pushes you much further. And, and, and that's why I was asking that question that you may not get that sort of appreciation or that sort of push from the market in areas like, let's say, uh, Tennessee's of the world or, uh, you know, other Indiana and things like that, right? Uh, but in other places like Texas, uh, Florida and things like that, you will get that. So that that's that's kind of why I was asking that question. And do, do you maybe have a comment on that? Yeah, I mean, some of these markets you're referring to, I live in Dallas and I, you know, right. we can we can probably build new new properties for as much as you can sell a 1970 property in some cases it makes the fundamental <laughs> make, makes no sense to me right it right. makes no sense right um i know there's a difference between building and developing versus buying existing but uh it literally a guy actually today posted on facebook in our group said it's a class c property it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars a door oh I mean, wow it's ridiculous mm -hmm. right, right um so i don't like those markets and, and that's where you run the risk that as the softening uh, that as it may occur, uh, you know, you may find deals and uh, syndicators that are probably, you know, sandwiched in some rock and hard places there. Yeah, they are. I think they're going to be. Um, it's happened before, too. And I think the issue is that, you know, um, they won't have enough to cover their debt because the cash flow is not there. They're banking a little bit more on their appreciation. We're a cash flowing market. Yeah, it may not go up as much appreciation wise, but the cash flow, as long as you cover your debt and you can pay all your other expenses, then you just hold on to it till it, till it spikes back up and you sell then or refinance right. or whatever you want to do. Right, right. So in terms of analyzing the, your deals then, Mark, right, you're mostly looking for uh, sort of how you your team can add value, right? And... Uh, you know, how you can reposition that uh, sort of uh, asset. Would that be sort of the governing factor uh, that sort of plays uh, into it? Like, let's say if somebody just brings you a deal that just doesn't have much meat on the bone, as we call it, uh, you know, could you maybe give us insights on like, how do you go about, uh, you know, what sort of things you look for in a potential deal? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you want to have some sort of meat on the bones. Um, I just want to, we're a little cautious on too much, meaning that, you know, there's a lot of uh, unpredictable things that could happen there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think they can go into a market and, and change the market by buying one property on the street. You're not going to, it's not going to happen. Big mistake. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you need to look at things like crime, for example. Um, the best thing you could do is buy a property that's purely mismanaged. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people will say all oh, this property is mismanaged, but you have to understand why is it mismanaged? Is it, that um, you know the the staff is rude. Well, that's the easy fix, right? Right. Is it the, the foundation's falling apart? Well, that's a different different issue. Right. But definitely um, looking at those different aspects of it will will help you and being really concrete in what you want in a deal when you're talking to brokers and investors versus just looking at everything, which is what I used to do, and it wastes a lot of time right. um, that way. But yeah, you definitely want to value add. Um, we look, like you said, kind of more of the, you know, four to $6,000. We've done more, in, you know, on deals. But if there's a story there, like it's 100 units and they have, you know, they have 20 down units, meaning maybe they need fifteen or $20,000 a, a door. But they've proven, you don't want to be the first one to prove something. Right. Like, I'm going to put granite and stainless steel in all these units. Nobody else in, the, in this block or street has it. 
I'm going to be the first one to do it. And I think it can push rents X number of dollars. Right. I don't want to be the guinea pig. Sure, sure. You don't want to lead that race for sure. I mean, you, you, you want right. to maybe perhaps closely follow someone else who may have done, I guess, right? That's right. Uh, give us some stories. I mean, while we are at the topic there, uh, Mark, uh, give us some value add stories that you may have done and sort of how you fared uh, in some of your projects. Yeah, we just finished one. Um, we still own the property. It was It's actually in Memphis, um, 321 doors. Uh, we've got a bridge loan on it. Was Occupancy was low. And we got a strong, really good bridge loan on it. And we ended up refining 14 months, pulled out 84% of all the money in 14 months. Awesome. Um, but that had a story there. It wasn't like the units were horrible. It was a, the same guy who owned it was the one who built it. Beautiful. Had, yeah, no computer in the office, no joke. 321 units. They had to either or mail their, their, their rent check or drive to another location. So a lot of things like that. They probably had th this big registers of uh, rent ledgers um, and stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> he, had, he had units that were that needed like a thousand, twelve hundred hours to get them ready. He just didn't do it. Wow, uh, you you love those I, deals, right? <laughs> oh yeah, we had another one similar to that. We just did a refi on that, a supplemental loan. Sorry, on that one, pulled mm -hmm. out like eighty, little eighty-two percent. Mm -hmm. And then I have a huge rehab that frankly did not go well and it had to do really with a partner. It really, it really, without going the whole story, had nothing to do with the property. Um, it was a uh, partner did some stuff he shouldn't do and it didn't go, it didn't go well. I see. Um, so you do have to be careful um, on those big rehab because you think sometimes that you can go in there and do something faster or for less expensive than you can. End of the day, you're not just dealing with, you're dealing with contractors that are late. You're dealing with, the city inspections that you might have a city inspector that's a pain in the, you know, in the butt sure, sure. and causing mm -hmm. you problems. So there are a lot more unknowns right. in a property right. like that. You can do well. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I'm, I tend to not look at those properties that are, you know, 50% occupied anymore, unless there's really a really good story behind it. Sure, sure, sure. And, and sometimes those deep uh, vacancy or, you know, deep problematic deals have several layers that are problematic that sometimes yeah. can be extremely difficult to tackle. And I have a couple of follow-up questions around all that you said there, Mark. Uh, speaking of financing, right, uh, at, at our podcast, I have had uh, brokers and various lenders come through and they obviously, you know, tell the story from their side, right? So let me ask you from a, uh, like a general partner side as you are, right? Uh, could you maybe share as to like, how financing plays a role, like how, what you look for, you said something about bridge uh, debt right now, right? Could you maybe share with our listeners that let's say you have a deal, right? How much of capital, what percentage of capital they should definitely have, uh, including CapEx and things like that. Those are probably, you know, the uh, sort of the varying components there. But should they have like 20%, 25%, 35%? Could you maybe share some uh, insights as to like how you take down a larger deal? Of equity, you're talking about how much equity you should right, have? Right, equity, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie, like how do you go about yeah. the entire fi financing gamut of things? Yeah, so every deal is unique, contrary to what people try to, right. you know, put everything into one one structure, which is a mistake, you're buying a business. Um, you know, Fannie, we, I like Fannie, it's going to give you the, the rehab dollars, going to give you the supplemental loan option, it's going to have prepayment penalties or yield maintenance, which I don't like, but they're, but they are there. 
Right. Um, you know, Freddie, if you do small balance, is not going to have supplemental option uh, at all. Right. I'm not going to give you any dollars for rehab, which I don't mm -hmm. like that, but mm -hmm. they're, if you have a lower rehab. Uh, first property we did was a uh, Freddie because we only mm -hmm. have $2,500 a door rehab. Um, you need to understand your business model. And if you think you're going to hold a property for five years, I wouldn't get a five year loan, get something longer. Because sure. the, the rates aren't that much different. Right. Um, you need to understand and talk to a mortgage broker if you don't understand what does it mean by yield maintenance and the prepayment penalties and things like that. Right. Um, but typically they're both going to want 90% or more occupancy for 90 days or more. There right. are exceptions to that, but just keep that as a general rule. Sure. The stabilized um, ones, basically. Right. That's right. And they, uh, that's just a general rule. Bridge loan, on the other hand, you know, it's also, sorry, Freddie and Freddie are going to look work off what's happening historically. They're not going to look at your pro forma and try to come up with uh, and use that to, to for proceeds. Okay. Sure. They're going to look at what happened in history. Right. A bridge loan is much, much different. It's a lot more complicated. You need to know what you're doing. There are some additional fees, potentially. You can, you know, um, put some hedge around your rate increase risk by mm -hmm. buying a cap rate. Mm -hmm. You might have something called interest reserve where they're reserving the interest you have to pay. Right. You can buy a cap on the interest rate too, right? Yeah, that's right. A rate cap, right. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, middle of a range. We're doing one run right now, closing tomorrow on one is 24,000. We've paid as, as high as 50, $60,000 for rate caps. It just depends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're going to give you potentially a lot more proceeds. We've gotten up to 87% uh, um, loan to cost. We got 80 per 80% on the purchase price and a hundred percent on an, of rehab on a 2.3 million on a $3.2 million purchase price. So That's huge awesome. uh, there, right. but there are more complicated. You need to understand them. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing a bridge loan right now on a stabilized property. It's 93%. And people are like, Oh, Why that's interesting. Yeah. And um, well, reality, Why is that? Is that because of the CapEx uh, involved, uh, Mark? No. no, it doesn't need a lot of CapEx, frankly. The rents are so low compared to market. Mm -hmm. And we would lock ourselves into, let's say, an agency financing situation on history. Mm -hmm. But we think within 12 to 18 months, it's going to be a completely different story. We think we're going to be able to push rent. They're already pushing rents. You know, 150, 175 dollars without doing any rehab right now. From the from I since see. we went under a contract, mm -hmm. so we want to do a refi. You know, after the 18 months or so, and I the see. bridge is going to have a lot less prepayment penalties. I see. So time. in this case, this bridge makes a whole lot of sense to uh, go through. You know, get in and then hopefully revisit in uh, 15 to 18 months and refi. Out. Right. Normally, I would say no, but this one it does. So we looked at it. You know, individually, we could have done Fannie if we wanted to or Freddie. Um, and then as far as, you know, so leverage wise, we'll try to get interest only as much as we can. I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. Sure. Uh, you can always pay more money if you want to. And mm -hmm. the spread, how much extra the rate is, is pretty small. Um, so you're not paying a big extra, you know, increase in, in the rate because you're trying to get interest only and things like that. Right. So I do like interest only as well. Mm -hmm. I see. So other than the capital expenditure, uh, Mark, in the bigger deals, uh, do you typically, as far as equity goes, do you go, you know, 20%, uh, 25%? How, how do you go about that? Like when you're raising equity, how much do you raise? Yeah. I and mean, it's going to depend on what the loan proceeds are, sure. but you always want to over-raise. Right. So the private place memorandum is going to have a 
a, a range. I always set the minimum range at what we absolutely need to close mm -hmm. without getting an acquisition fee, without contingencies. That's the minimum. You need mm -hmm. to be able to close. Right. Then you're going to have a maximum, which is going to be going to include all all those things. Plus, you're going to want additional funds in there, and that will do, how much additional will depend on how big of a rehab. You know, yeah. for example, if you have a big rehab project and you're going to have to pay vendors, you're going to probably pay vendors, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, really. Sure. And you're going to be waiting on the lender to reimburse you. Oh, that's that. That's a <laughs> that's yeah. a difficult place to be. We've been through it. We had two hundred fifty thousand sitting there for five months. Mm -hmm. um, certain reasons why, but reality is you want to have what we call working capital. Sure. Mm -hmm. Typically, working capital, we do one full month's rent mm -hmm. for the whole entire property. Mm -hmm. So whatever that is, 8%, 8.3%. Mm -hmm. And then um, we'll have a contingency above that, meaning like that's above working capital and above what we think we need. It's working capital to pay those vendors and, and while you're waiting to get reimbursed. Sure, sure. So does that maybe work out to like, you know, when the uh, equity raise happens, right? Is that more like 25%? I mean, uh, I'm just Typ thinking Typically, this. you know, some loans right now, you, people are only getting 75 total. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna have to put 25% down plus mm -hmm. a little bit of working capital and, and you're also gonna have to put down some of your uh, contingency. So it might work out to be higher. It might work out to be closer to 30%. Right. In right. That situation. right. So uh, in this business, I know, uh, Mark, that, uh, you know, knowledge is power, understanding, you know, how the rehabs work, having that construction background and, you know, thinking through, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of knowing what you really are exactly looking at. Uh, you know, for example, if you're touring an exterior of a building, you know, if certain columns are, you know, moving, you got to maybe, you know, uh, put into th thought that, hey, there may be a foundation issue on the deck and things like that, which, you know, gets expensive and things, right? So where I'm going with this, Mark, is that there is this sort of notion that, oh, with a little bit of experience, I can get into multifamily, right? Could you maybe share with our listeners that uh, what it takes, because I have heard a lot of gurus saying that, oh, you just need a mentor and you can get into multifamily which sometimes I find a little difficult to believe that you really got to have a bit of experience into, you know, whether it's renovations or you've done some house, uh, uh, you know, rehabs or flips and things of that nature. Uh, could you share like, yeah. what are your thoughts uh, around, you know, how and when should a newbies get into multifamily investing? Yeah. Well, there's two things, I guess. One is getting a deal and the other one's operating the deal. Exactly. Uh, you know, we mentor people, right? So you can definitely get deals by using somebody else's track record and, sure. you know, and using that as a partner and things like that. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that, oh, I want, they want to asset manage. They think it's some sort of glamorous, you know, uh, role, I guess. And a lot of people get into it. Management is the hardest. Yeah, no, it is. And people get into it and then sometimes think, well, I want to, they want to just find deals instead. So, uh, you know, for us, we have actually a couple asset managers in our group mm -hmm. um, that people can use. Um, I'm always available to help people with that. Mm -hmm. But you really, you need a really solid, third, we use third-party management, by the way. So you need a really solid third-party management company, mm -hmm. in my mind, if you're, if you're new. We're not new. We still use third-party management companies. Right. They have a lot of value. You need to definitely watch them. You need to do surprise visits and just show up, see what right. the property looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're doing rehab and you're not there locally, then I would encourage people to use 
the third party management company or another management company or another uh, like a GC to manage right. the rehab because you're not there all the time and it can. Right, right. And I'm, I'm actually going to get into asset management as well. So like, for example, uh, getting back to the newbies, like, do you recommend that they should definitely have a, a whole lot of experience before they jump into multifamily? Uh, you know, if they have someone they're partnering with, they mm -hmm. don't need that much experience. Sure. They need something, they need knowledge, There's a lot of free knowledge out there. And right. they need something of value that they're providing to somebody else. Got it. Um, Got so it. you need someone holding your hand through the entire mm -hmm. process and after. Um, but a lot of people say, hey, I'm, you know, should I go buy a bunch of single families first or buy a two unit or four unit? That's what, that's what I started with. Sure. It didn't help me much at all right. for buying a family. Right. Um, and you need the time to devote. And as you rightfully said there, Mark, is that I think knowing what you're getting into is, is a, you know, there's nothing, uh, you know, replacement for it. I mean, you know, when you talk about like, you know, larger multifamily, for example, I mean, you're dealing with hundreds of units in some cases, right? So you really got to understand that what you're operating, how you're going about, you know, what are the different phases and things like that. So very well said there. Uh, Mark, speaking of some deep value add strategies, right? Uh, could you maybe explain us that what sort of interior exterior renovations uh, you do in your assets? Like what are the favorite ones that bring more sort of rent bumps uh, along the way? Could you maybe share some stories around that? Yeah, I think the biggest you know thing is focus on what a tenant or prospective tenant can see physically. Right. Um, a lot of people don't. They they think they're going to put in you're going to do new roofs and the plumbing, electrical, and they're going to push rents a whole bunch. Well, <laughs> rents need to be low to begin with if you're going to push them. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, but simple things like landscaping, you know, making sure the parking lot looks decent, mm -hmm. um, paint. I mean, nothing, the horizontal fencing looks killer. If you really use like a cedar, horizontal fencing looks really nice and balconies mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. It that modern feel. Doing enclosures, um, you know, so people actually have a private space. People get $75 a unit for that. I see. Uh, so having like a small fencing in your backyard or something for your unit right. and things like that, basically. Got it. Right. Be careful not having grass back there because it's not going to be kept. <laughs> you know, so people do that and then the grass is two feet high, you know, so be careful of that. So nothing too, you know, too crazy. Think about what, you know, people are looking at there. And then on the interior, it's going to depend a lot on the market. Um, you know, typically I would say appliances is the least bang for the buck. Mm -hmm. um, but we are putting appliances in our one of our North Dallas properties and we're getting $75 extra a month on it. It's insane. Wow. I mean, you know, your, your payback is like three months, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from a cap rate perspective, wherever it is. Right. 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 Um, but a, again, there, you know, we, I don't like carpet. So we use typically don't have carpet, mm -hmm. um, in, in the properties. A lot of people say, well, you need carpet on the second floor because of noise and things like that. I don't know. Um, it, it all depends. Like it. Sometimes the, the, I mean, the, the building has to support, I mean, if, if it's like really, uh, you know, noisy enough, then I think, right carpet may make sense but otherwise as much hard as you can go whether it's plank flooring or you know you put laminate things like that there's right. just plenty of options and other but, things like backsplashes that are very inexpensive to do people really notice that in the kitchen i wouldn't re we don't typically replace cabinets and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, we have but in general worst cases we replace cabinet doors sure um, but even that sometimes you can just put in you know paint and then hardware on top of it to make it look you know a little bit nicer um, things like that. Um, and then, you know, two-tone paint, fixtures, things like that. So 
and then we might resurface countertops. Mm -hmm. Rarely do we do granite, but we, we are and have done granite in some of our properties. It's not that expensive for some of the kitchen side because the sizes are a little smaller. Sure. Um, and it gives that extra, but you might do it where you have two different units side by side that you can show prospective tenants to and sure. you push, you know, $50 extra on one versus the other. And right. then you decide, am I getting the market traction? And does it make sense for me to spend, you know, an extra $3,000 to get $25? No, probably right. doesn't. So don't do that. Right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, speaking of asset management, uh, I know you alluded to uh, that before, Mark. Um, how do you, like, I know you live in Dallas, for example, right? How do you manage, uh, you know, sort of the entire repositioning uh, that happens in your assets, right? So could you maybe give us like concrete examples that, hey, you have like weekly conference calls or you have an asset manager dedicated to a site or property manager gives us uh, XYZ reports uh, to your supervisor, things like that. Could you maybe give us some insight yeah, into how exactly sure. you go about that? Yeah, we do have weekly calls with our managers. Um, we also um, get a weekly report. For manager called MMR, mm -hmm. uh, it's the Monday morning report, mm -hmm. and that will have like traffic and occupancy and, and revenue and things like that. So we can monitor pretty closely. Mm -hmm. um, when you have a big project as a rehab project, it's going to be a lot easier if you have somebody there, boots on the ground, just right. is. Right. I have a partner in Atlanta. Now, Memphis, the one I mentioned, we did a refi after 14 months, was a big rehab project. Mm -hmm. We had a phenomenal a manager company, property manager company there that we know, like, and trust and done just a great job on all our properties there. Mm -hmm. And I had an asset manager that helped me on the deals as well. He didn't, he was basically doing most of the asset management. He would go there once a month. Um, but even that's not that often when you're doing mm -hmm. a big project, right? It's mm -hmm. going every three weeks originally. So if it's going to be a big rehab project, I really recommend you have somebody local that can oversee it or you engage somebody local that can oversee it for you. Sure, sure. Now, uh, just at the bigger picture now, Mark, uh, as large as your company is right now, right? Uh, what are the different sort of uh, aspects within your team? Like how large is your team? Like what, what different role everyone is playing? Could you maybe give us some uh, insight into how your organization is right now? Yeah, so we have two aspects. We have the educational aspect and then we have the acquisition um, we use all 1099 contractors. That's what I did even when I had an IT company. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll have, so my wife and my wife, Tamil and myself are full time. And then we have other people like, uh, you know, executive admin and we have a, a backend guy that does a lot of technical aspects for us. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, people in our group that are out searching for deals to acquire them. Mm -hmm. So we have a number of people out doing that. Mm -hmm. And then we have two people in our group. They're not uh, employees of Think Multifamily, but they're in our group and they're um, asset managers. So they'll actually asset manage for mm -hmm. um, people if they, if they choose to. So that's kind of the structure of the, the company. And then everything else is really, you know, external CPAs, attorneys, sure, sure, sure. companies, mortgage brokers, things like that. I see. I see. Uh, do you leverage any virtual assistant for any tasks or anything? Uh, we don't right now. We actually did have a couple we were using. Frankly, um, we personally didn't get very good luck with them. Mm -hmm. so we stopped. Um, we might go back to that for some tasks, but mm -hmm. for some of the stuff we wanted done or completed mm -hmm. um, anytime you start a business you're you know you're always trying to put different things together and become better and better right. and some things are, are harder to to push off if you want to say or bring on a virtual assistant 
show you how that structure in place. That's why we brought in kind of the executive admin who's been, you know, phenomenal helping us. Hmm. But um, we don't leverage VAs really right now. I see. I see. And and as you as you said, Mark, you know, sometimes you bring on somebody and trying to get them to speed itself becomes a job for you. And right. then you're like, man, I could have better done this in 10 minutes rather than, you know, coaching somebody for so long, you know. That and we, we found in our, my in both my wife and my mind, um, the amount of effort or amount of hours they were spending on different tasks uh, were much higher than, it's no different than when I had IT and I had offshore guys, you know, they take longer to do it. Yes, they were 20% of the cost, but they were taking a lot longer to do the task and I had to manage them a lot more. So um, I think there are a lot of tasks. People have been very successful mm-hmm. at having VAs, but um, we just tried it once so far with a couple of them and didn't work that great. So we might go back to it. So Mark, with the, uh, you know, the, with the scale of company that you have and the many things that are always across your plate, uh, what keeps you busy? Like what are your sort of shifted priorities nowadays? Yeah. Um, from a work perspective, it, it's really a big focus on having other people get deals, um, primarily get their first deal, and then other people have been able to get many deals in a pretty short period of time. Sure. Um, and so a lot of us have education. We still buy a lot of deals, still part of a lot of deals, mm-hmm. but focusing on the ongoing education of all aspects, how to find the deal, how to you know raise money, how to operate it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of, you know, um, just want to say handholding through that process. Sure. That's really been the biggest focus really right now over the last, you know, year or so. I see. I see. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you, uh, adding so much value and giving us insight into various, uh, topics today. It's been a pleasure having you, uh, please share with our listeners, uh, how they can, uh, reach you. First of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think it hold me easiest is uh, Mark, M-A-R-K at thinkmultifamily.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all, all your insights today, Mark. It's thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.